You're listening to Drowning Verdict. Be sure to follow the podcast on your favorite listening platform. We don't want you to miss out on an important case or update. If you haven't already, pull the trigger and subscribe. Could Brian Koberger be exonerated from the murder charges levied against him in the case of the four students who were murdered, butchered in Idaho in that sleepy college town? Well, there's a chance. There's a slight window of opportunity because of the circumstantial evidence. I'm going to talk about that today among some other things that could possibly open up the door for him to get away with murder because I think he done it. The rest of the world thinks so as well, but could he get away with murder? We'll talk about today on Drowning Verdict, which is my true crime podcast where I talk about fascinating cases just like this one and I go more in depth with the case. So thank you for joining me today. You might have found me on my TikTok where I've got some clips there to show. However, if it led you over the crime network, that's crime with a Y, that's a good place to be because you can find the podcast like mine, the crime podcast to listen to, and also read the headlines at the same time. So we've got big podcasts there, storytelling podcasts. So check it out, Crime Network, Crime with a Y. Otherwise, you can find Ryan and Verdict wherever you get your favorite pods out there in the podverse. It is featured on Spotify. So wherever you like to listen to podcasts, if it's not Crime Network, uh, anywhere else. And I'm there out there in the podverse to provide a unique angle, a new idea, definitely a topic of conversation to keep the combo going on open and active cases, important cases just like this one. And if you have heard me before, and it wasn't just a drive-by, as I say, you're pulling the crossover SUV back around on me, dropping the clip. I do appreciate that. Know that I try to get bigger and better for you each and every time, often to give you a reason for being here. And I've got a pretty good reason today because although this case is not in court yet, um, there's some things to talk about because, like I said, there's a lot of circumstantial evidence. And I'm going to talk about what his lawyers might attack in this case. Maybe one of the reasons why he was smirking when he first sat down in court when he met his his first lawyer, because now he's got two. So we'll get into that. But before I do, I kind of want to do a little bit of a wrap up. Uh, you know, this is a commentary show. It's not necessarily storytelling. So if you like that, you can get that at Crime Network, some really big podcasts there you have heard of. Good episodes, storytelling there. Here, I like to do the commentary for the most part. And some of the things that I've been talking about, I find uh, pretty interesting. So let's just get into it because on DV, I try to give you something that maybe you're not getting anywhere else. And reason to sub, reason to come back. 
So one of the things I've talked about lately is Rainy Street. And I asked the question, is there a serial killer there? Stalking Rainy Street, spiking drinks, um, and then young younger guys, I would say age 30 to 40, for the most part, ending up in Ladybird Lake. Well, I said in that episode, I don't really buy it. I agree with the, what the cops are saying, that there is no serial killer here. However, after I published that episode within a few days, body number eight within the last 10 months, body number eight showed up. So does that mean that with an eighth body, there's a serial killer? I don't know. I still don't buy it, but something is going on there. Check out that episode. See if you agree with me. I still say no SK there. I agree with the cops. The other stuff I've talked about that I find interesting, maybe you do as well. One of them, the lady in the fridge. She was the lady who was found around 1995 in a fridge off of Canal in an unincorporated area of Sacramento. Well, years later, 25 years later or so, they finally ID'd her through DNA, which was a really good thing. But you know what? Killer still unknown. She was murdered by somebody. They don't know who done it, but they do know her name. And I have an episode on that. But also, aside from the lady in the fridge, there was also a man in a tarp. And that was in 1998 in Santa Cruz, in the mountains area of Santa Cruz. So not too far from Sacramento. He was killed. They did not know who he was. He was found wrapped in a tarp. 25 years later or so, they finally ID'd him as Eric Cuppo, 22 years old at the time. And he was killed for trying to sell his gun for some drugs. And they did arrest the killers at the time. However, they did not know who the victim was. And through the miracle of uh, genetic genealogy, DNA, amazingly, they found who he was as well as the lady in the fridge. So those are some pretty interesting things that I've found in true crime. And speaking of crime, crime with a Y, on the network, there's a show called Gem State that I've been checking out that I really like because it gives a play-by-play on the Lori Vallow trial. There's no cameras in the courtroom there. And it's a local news that is doing a weekly wrap-up, giving you the audio play-by-play and and a lot of really good input. And one of the things I found was that the victims here, the two kids of hers who she is accused of murdering, one of them, the, uh, the boy, was found with a bag over his head. Every part of him was duct tape. His body was in a bag. So you have, you know, the man, the tarp, this is the boy in the bag. And he was strangled. He also possibly had GHB in his system, which is the date rape drug. And he was in his red pajama. So really sad. Um, It's probably a good thing that the camera is not in the courtroom. So Lori could get sympathy somehow. But check out Gem State, a reason to go to crimenetwork.com, crime with a Y. So I like it among some other things there. And every week you get a new episode. So pretty cool. So I asked the question, might Koberger be exonerated? Hmm. It's interesting. Everybody thinks he's guilty. I do as well. He's the bushy-eyed stranger. He looks like a cross between uh, Ted Bundy and the Hillside Strangler guys. Dark hair, matted hair, the type of guy who could 
do this kind of thing. Well, I said from the beginning here that the person who committed this was rejected. We didn't know it was Koberger at that time. However, about 10 days before he was arrested and identified, I did say on the podcast that he, the killer, was from Washington State, that he was likely a student there. Turns out dude was a grad student in psychology, studying criminology, and that just made for a really strange situation to hear about. But did he do it? I think he did. The rest of the world thinks so as well. But here's the thing. He's got two really good lawyers, both of whom have gotten people off on pretty big things in court. Maybe not a quadruple murder, but they still have a track record of success. So he's got that going for for him. And then there's also this circumstantial evidence. And although there's a lot of it, there's a pretty good reason why the defense could attack one of their main things in the prosecution, which is the stalking and the pinging of the cell phone data of why he was where he was at the time. Now, the four were murdered in off-campus housing, University of Idaho, uh, mid-November, stabbing deaths. And I did say that for one of them, they were all killed and that this person was stalking the one, most likely doing it online, but did project himself onto her and felt rejection for some reason. And so when you're looking at it from the defense side here, and I will play the lawyer today, is that you can poke holes in this all day. You can say that, yeah, he was there because guess what? The University of Idaho is 10 minutes away. And also he's a grad student in psychology where he's only been there for about six months, but the University of Idaho has a grad program as well. And they also offer psychology, not criminology, but other aspects of psychology. And he was thinking of transferring there. He was getting acquainted with college life, what it might like to to be there on a regular basis. It's only 10 minutes away. It's not 30 minutes. It's not an hour. It's 10 minutes. It's as if he's driving to the grocery store and then just continues a mile down the road. He's there. And that's a pretty good reason to say, based on your circumstantial evidence, this is one of the reasons. Well, they do have a DNA and it is on a button snap of a knife sleeve. They could also say, well, you can't put it in his hand and he did lose it and somebody else got it. And we don't know who, what, where, when, why, but it ain't his. And it wasn't his at the time of the murders because it's kind of difficult to put the knife in his hand and it's kind of difficult to put his hand on the bodies unless they have that uh, right now and they haven't revealed it. But I don't know, maybe we will find that out in court. So I think that they can attack the circumstantial stuff and build a little window of opportunity for him. Maybe uh, the reason why when he first sat down with his lawyer, when he first met her in court, she represented him in Idaho after they transferred him back from Pennsylvania, back to Idaho. Maybe that's the reason why he was smirking because he knows something. That could be interesting. One of the things here that I think is key is will the cameras be allowed in court? 
So right now we have Lori Vallow. I talked about Gem State. I talked about what's going on there. You can check it out on Crime Network. But a good thing there is that the cameras are not allowed in court because if they were, maybe she could garner sympathy somehow, some way. She's that manipulative. She is that way. So it's a good thing the cameras aren't on. But if they're rolling in the Koberger case, that could only benefit him and his lawyers. And the reason why I say that is because, unfortunately for a lot of lawyers, they love the spotlight. And this is a career-making case. I believe they want the case. I believe they want the cameras. Some people are like that. If they're allowed in the courtroom, which hopefully they are not, but if they are, it could only benefit Koberger and his attorneys because his attorneys are really good. Uh, he got a new one recently or one added to the team. So it has two of them and both of them have a track record of uh, getting people off on major crimes. And like I said, I don't think quadruple murder, but big ones as well. So he's got that in his uh, corner and the circumstantial evidence, it could add up to a mountain of nothing if they're good enough to uh, do some of the things I've talked about. I don't think it's gonna happen, but it does open up the window of opportunity. I think he did it. I think for one, they were all murdered. I talked about rejection. I talked about projecting himself onto somebody that he did not know, having a window into their lives through social media, being able to stalk that way because the way in which these young people lived their lives, especially with social media, it was open to anybody who wanted to view it. And you could easily see that they, the victims, were not aware of stranger danger at any point. Every aspect of their lives was carefree, and they were not concerned about safety for any reason. So that just means coming and going at all night, times of night, parties where anybody can walk in, a lot of randomness in the house, a lot of randomness in their life, feeling as if you're protected in this world where somebody who is a stalker and a murderer says, oh, wait a minute, you don't know what I can do. You don't know what I'm capable of. Somehow feeling that he's being rejected by these people he doesn't know, and at least one of him, one of them whom he projected himself on, and I believe because of the closeness of the group, that tight-knit uh, group of four, that he felt like an outcast, even though they didn't even know who he was. So that's a thing. Um and a reason why I believe that they were murdered, and I think that 99%, yes, that it is Koberger. But I guess we'll soon find out when this uh, case gets to court, and likely capital punishment will be on the table because of the heinousness of it all and how everything went down. So that's going to be interesting. However, if the cameras are not in court, that's a good thing for the prosecution. It can only help the defense. So we'll find out about that. I know uh, that was a thing in the Lori Vallow trial, and they did a great job there of saying, no, 
you can't have the trial at the same time as your husband, Chad. They're going to be separate. And no, we're not going to have cameras in the courtroom because I remember early on where a judge uh, had said, no, she can't have a cell phone in jail right now. I will not allow that. And the reason why is because if she can talk to somebody, if she can get a hold of somebody, she can manipulate that person. And that's what we see here in that trial. So, yeah, check out Crime Network, Gem State, a bunch of other podcasts on there as well. And you'll find Drowning Verdict as we keep growing more and more and more. Read the headlines, all the good stuff on Crime Network. And I will see you down the road here in probably in the next few weeks with an update episode. I'll have more on Koberger and some new cases as well. I'll give you that commentary. But for now, on Drowning Verdict, I'm out. Thanks for joining me. Have a good one. Good night.